Broadcasting from a radioactive bunker deep inside the bracket compound, this is Show Spoilers Episode 19, Westworld Season 2, Episode 7. And Brad, I'm going to let you pronounce the title because I believe you've been researching it. <laughs> it's Les Ecorchi. Les, you know, the way you said that almost sounded French. It is French. It is a French phrase. Um, from what, oh, it is? Okay. Yeah, from what I've uh, understood, I, I pulled an article from heavy.com that kind of describes what it means. I got three different interpretations of it. Um, by definition, it's kind of, uh, it's French for a painting or sculpture of the human figure with skin removed to display the musculature of it. So that co- could um, just be a reference to, you know, the, the logo, you know, the guy in the circle that we see in the, in the credits every episode and so on. But Interesting. Well, let me hold you up right there. We'll get into that. Sure. Uh, I appreciate uh, the definition of that because I did not have a chance to look it up. But let's introduce ourselves. And let's introduce the show, and then we'll get right into things. There's a lot to talk about. It's been a couple weeks, and I apologize. Uh, I was out of town, and then I got sick, and I apologize if I still sound sick. It's because I am. But we couldn't let another day go by without doing the show. We've got two episodes to tackle for you. This is the first of two. I am Kevin, joined, as always, by my co-host, Brad. Hey, Brad. Hey. Hey, Kevin. Hey, everybody. Brad is going to probably take control of most of this because, like I said, it's, it's been a couple weeks. I actually watched the episode while I was on vacation out of town, you know, just so I could get it in. And it's been such a busy week. And I got back, wasn't feeling well, catching up on work. And so I actually, this is the only time this season I think I haven't watched the episode twice. So Brad took some great notes, and I will try to do my best to remember everything. And once you start talking about it, I'm sure I'll be able to chime in. So sure. we'll see where that goes. Uh, before we talk about the episode, of course, uh, I'm sure you've already subscribed and follow us. But if you haven't, uh, we would appreciate that. Uh, you can subscribe on iTunes for the Apple folks out there. Uh, on Android, you can find us on Stitcher, Google Play. Um, I use Podkicker, which is a great app to uh, manage all your podcasts. You can just paste the RSS feed in there. So please uh, subscribe. And then if you can rate us, the more ratings we get, the more people find the show, spreads the word, more fun talk of theories and tinfoil and all that good stuff. So we appreciate it. And uh, follow us on Twitter at all the spoilers. So uh, yeah, without further ado, let's talk about this season two, episode seven, Les Ecorchés. Did I do it right? <laughs> do it. You sounded great. All right. That four years of French in high school really paid off. It was all <laughs> for this one moment. I will say right off the bat, before we get into it, I was not a huge fan of this episode. I, I haven't really talked to you on your overall feelings. We wanted to try to keep it for the show, but... When I watched this, it was like there was a lot of action going on. It was an action-packed episode, but that just isn't generally what I look for in Westworld. What, how did you feel about yeah, it? Yeah, I remember you saying that, and I, I didn't really have a problem with it um, the first time or the second time that I watched it. I uh, I, I enjoyed the action. I know that it might, might be uh, – I understand where you're coming from from the standpoint that it's just – it's not what you're used to when watching the show, but like the whole season's been leading to to Dolores and her crew, you know, to violently, I guess, violently take over take over the Mesa. Um, totally, so, you know, and, um, and and don't get me wrong, like of course the action is well done. The show looks amazing. They have they have some amazing directors. The actors are obviously phenomenal. We we talk about it and we preach every episode. You know, these everyone involved with the show is so excellent. Sure. I guess the thing is with Westworld, though, and I mean, it started in the first season and it's evolved into such a different show, but still, it's that existential question. It's the questioning of whether or not the hosts are real or, you know, are they people? Should they be treated like humans because of the the thoughts and the the you know self control and the uh, quote unquote consciousness that we're trying to figure out which ones have or do they really? And so, 
you know, when I watch this show, I'm so into uh, the Maeve storyline and and her finding consciousness and then her choosing what she's going to do with her newfound abilities. And, and uh, you know, and, and with Dolores, it's like I'm so much more interested in the Dolores storyline than the Wyatt storyline. And, uh, you know, and her and dealing with her emotions and her struggle and her with her father is always great. So when we got to this episode, you're right. I, you know, it's like we, we expected, we knew it was coming. We saw them loading up the train uh, with their nitroglycerin and we, we knew that they were going to attack the Mesa, but I guess it just felt weird. It wasn't unexpected yeah. due to the buildup, but it felt strange because it, it was like I was watching an action movie. It was like I was watching a, uh, you know, like it's like watching a Michael Bay movie, you know, where it's like it's a lot of action and he's very good <laughs> sure, at it, yeah. but it does it lacks the substance of what I'm looking for. The thought provoking, it just it just felt off to me because of it being in this series. So anyway, uh, we'll definitely get into the show, of course, and, and talk about all the different moments. But right off the bat, it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And I saw a lot of feedback online, a lot of people on social media. You know, I, I went on Twitter afterwards just to see what people were saying. And I definitely wasn't alone out there. We got a lot of people echoing that. Just that They just kind of lost them with, with the direction this episode took. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, I, I did see a bunch of mixed feelings that night too when I was looking for initial reactions and such. But uh I, I tried not to let it get in the way of how I felt about it. I, I still enjoyed it oh, pre- yeah. pretty thoroughly. No, that's that's great. And that's one of the things, you know, when it comes to film criticism and, and television criticism and, and all that stuff, it's like all, all these opinions of this type of art, and this is art, period. Sure. It's subjective. Yep. And and it's not to say that, that uh, you know, anyone should think less of someone for liking this or liking a certain genre or type of movie. It's nothing like that. And so you're definitely entitled to your opinion and I don't want you to change it. Like if that's how you feel, don't change it on my account. Anyone else's no, that's great. Um, But just, yeah, just for me. And I think a lot of other people though, it just, something just felt weird about it. And we can get into some of those reactions later on in the show, but uh, why don't we kick it off? Why don't we talk about, you know, right from the very start here. And this is another episode. I will note that just started up with no intro. We've been talking about, all season they jump back and forth sometimes there's an intro and then they do this scene and then sometimes they do a little prelude or whatever you want to call it and then they get into the intro so i haven't found a pattern yet i don't know that you have either but it's another non-intro start and just uh, what does it start with bernard waking up in the mason yeah waking up and uh talking to stubs um they uh after the aftermath of uh the week before i believe which i don't recall exactly what happened but I, i felt like it was like a continuation of of something from the week before. Yeah. He wakes up and uh, Stubbs immediately tells him, like, I don't think that they're here for why we think they are. Like, it's not a rescue mission. And, uh, tells him we need to get to Teresa's office. Uh, Teresa, what's her last name from the first season? I know, you know, it. Teresa Cullen, Teresa Cullen. There we go. Uh, yeah. So he wakes up to, to Stubbs telling him we need to get to Teresa's office for, for a satcom to, to get some kind of communication out of here because I don't trust, you know, the people that are here to rescue us. They're, they're clearly have another agenda. It's, it's been evident since they landed that to us, obviously we're seeing a lot of different viewpoints, but the characters like Stubbs and, and like Bernard, I mean, they've been left in the dark. They don't really know what's up and what Dallas is trying to do but we know that they've got this this hidden agenda this you know trying to get the package off the island trying to smuggle the dna and experiences the you know control units um they're obviously up to no good and it's like you could tell from the beginning when you know when uh or uh now i'm getting them all confused now when charlotte uh in the very beginning she was like they're not going to even talk to us they're not even going to send help 
until we secure the package. It's like right. they obviously value this package more than human life, more than their employees. So, uh, yeah, they're they're not going to stop at anything. Not, it, you know, the lives don't matter of, uh, you know, piddly little employee like Stubbs. <laughs> I mean, right, just, yeah. And he realized it. So I like that because it means that we're going to get them standing up to Delos and up to these executives who exactly. are just, you know, running this place into the ground trying to get, get their uh, package. Yeah. So uh, on their way to Teresa's office, it looks like they're going to they're going to take off before they're stopped by old uh, Strand. Is it Carl? Carl Strand? Carl Strand. Yeah. He, uh, the, uh, he's the Skarsgård, the third Skarsgård yeah. brother to the third Hemsworth brother. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And uh, he's uh, he's very weary of what these two are up to and thinks that one of them is uh, is uh, responsible for Teresa's death because they found uh, uh, a batch of her dna somewhere which we know where where teresa died in season one at, at the hands of bernard for, through uh through ford and but they moved the body right so the dna was found really far away from where they had moved the body so i guess ford had bernard move teresa's body so that you know it would be look like an accident but then they ended up finding it i think back at the um back at like was it for was it Ford's house is where she was killed in season one? I think that's where they found the secret door, yeah, the, secret or the door that right. Bernard couldn't see. Um, and so, yeah, they found the DNA leading there. And so, obviously, and rightfully so, they they they're thinking, oh, there's there was a cover up. This was a murder, yep. which it was. And so, I could definitely get, I definitely get their um, reservations and them pointing the finger at Bernard. But, you know, you can't help but to feel bad because as the audience, we know that Bernard was not in control. Right. We know this was Ford. And now they're, you know, pinning Bernard with this. And, well, and first, or it looks like they're pinning, they're Stubbs, pinning right. Stubbs. Yeah, like Stubbs right, would right. have more of a motivation to do it, to make his big moment to, to do something to, to get paid off or, or what have you. But uh, I guess they just didn't suspect Bernard because he was a loyal, you know, person for, for Delos, for Westworld, to, to Ford and such. And He's also like kind of a nerdy tech guy you know like yeah. bernard is not i mean bernard walks around you know looking through his glass or looking over his glasses that he apparently never uses because they're <laughs> hanging off his nose um i love that we mentioned it before but remember his id badge his official id badge has the glasses down at the bottom yep. of his nose yep. like i love that he took his his picture like that it's just so funny sure. But, uh, you know, clearly he never uses them because he doesn't need them. He's a host and trying to, you know, wear glasses. It's just funny because it's been programmed by Ford because he had those. Um, but, yeah, but who, would, who would suspect loyal, lovable old Bernard? Right, exactly. But it gets to the point where, where uh, Stubbs is at gunpoint and doesn't have a confession to make because he didn't do it. And Bernard, Bernard remember, you know, he's having the flash of having done it. And, and he, yells, he yells, stop. And uh, at the same time, um, within seconds of that happening, I think there might have been a little bit of dialogue, but a secret door is found by one of one of the, the nameless henchmen that, that's with them. Everybody goes through the door to find a bunker full of a bunch of Bernard hosts is how we start the show. It's so crazy. Like, yeah. I, I think this is something I don't usually watch the previews and I definitely don't watch like the whole season previews because I don't want to see little clips from see, from episode seven, you know, before I watch one. Right. But I, I heard the rumbling. Sometimes you just can't avoid it. 
I was reading online one day and someone said, oh, and there's a whole room full of Bernards, you know? And so I'm like, damn it. So now I know that at some point they're So the the reveal wasn't as exciting for me, but still it's like, damn, like seeing them all discover those Bernards was a great moment. Sure. Uh, It would have even been better had I not known it existed. But, uh, you know, they, they think Bernard is a human, just like we did the whole season one. And here they are trying to get to the bottom of this and they find a whole room full of these guys. Like that's nuts. Right. And Charlotte had a good line. I, I didn't write it down, but it's something along the lines of, I knew you had some skeletons in your closet, Bernard, but I didn't know it was this many or I, something like that. And it was just yeah. a very clever line before it goes into the opening uh, opening credits. Oh, yeah. That was that was a really good moment. Uh, uh, I was feeling very nervous and worried for Stubbs. I thought they might. I, I mean, I guess I really didn't think he was going to die. But you're first like, oh, don't kill Stubbs and then have Bernard like play it off. And still, you know, I just did not know what was going to happen. And then, you know, now I'm so worried for Bernard because, again, like he's he's the guy I'm, I'm always rooting for. You know, since the very beginning, I love Bernard as a character and I really want him to make it out of here. And now it's like, how is he going to escape from this? Like, you've got these crazy Delos execs and QA uh, that know his secret. And, and it's like, I'm just worried for the guy. Yeah, for sure. He's been through a lot and I, he's clearly the the main focal point of this episode. And, and it does uh, play into the title as well. Um, I, I will say, you know, as I, I, we mentioned how worried I am for Bernard. But again, I want to say hats off to Jeffrey Wright. Uh, in this scene, they're torturing him. They're waterboarding him. Like that is a terrifying scene. And, and uh, you know, he's such a good actor. I love it when they actually give him room to do his thing. And like, again, I'm feeling so bad for Bernard here. Like, just I just want to yell, don't hurt him. Yeah, it was really it was really scary at that point because this, this comes back from the opening credits to to him just standing there not breathing, and you know to him you know as a host he doesn't have to breathe but he's programmed to breathe to be you know to appear normal. Yeah, and so he's sitting there, and you can tell he's frustrating. I think he's he's sweating and he's just in this tense like stare and and before Hale tells him to uh, you know, go ahead and breathe or get your breath, I think is what she says, and they, it cuts to one of her uh, henchmen saying that uh, with a, a tablet showing that he's being waterboarded and there's all kinds, there's a whole list of different things that they could do to torture him because they're trying to get information out of him. But that's um that's a strands tech guy. I can't even remember what his name in the show is, yeah, but he's either. played by an actor that's named Ferris Ferris. F A R E S F A R E S. Now I don't know if you're supposed. I I apologize. I don't know if you're supposed to pronounce them differently, the first name and the last name, or, or if it's like Ferez Ferez. But it's just, or Fares Fares. It's but <laughs> it's it's a unique name. I don't think it I'll is, forget yeah. that. Now I think no, we should just call him that. No, I know uh, Antoine <laughs> Costa, but um, I you know I call him Ferris Ferris. Ferris Ferris. Interesting. Yeah. So they go on trying to get information out of Bernard and. He uh, he doesn't remember Dolores attacking the Mesa, and, and but Charlotte is uh, adamant, saying that like those memories exist because you were present. You you have this information. We're going to get it out of you, and that's when it goes to that that flashing scene that we've or flashing transition, I should say, that we've seen however many times. I don't think it's been in every episode, but most episodes there there'll be this this quick cutting of of flashing back and forth before like hitting us with a bunch of information. Yeah. And, uh, I think that's how they, usually it's how they separate the timelines or, you know, the storyline, you know, going to flashback and uh, usually it's their memories of the past. Yeah. So 
Um, after the flashing, uh, we get Stubbs um, talking to Hale, talking about the train not being an accident. It, it was the host that did it, so they know that they're about to be under attack. Um, Hale doesn't have what she needs from Abernathy yet, so she's not going to leave, even though Stubbs is persistent. Like, we got we to gotta get out of here. We got to do something, or you know they're going to come in here. And I don't think they're all properly armed at that point. I'm not sure if the soldiers are in there with them or if they're still just working on Abernathy, but we see that, that shot that again, you didn't, you probably didn't watch the trailer or the preview for the, uh, for the episode, but Dolores and her crew, there's a really sweet shot of them, like entering the building, you know, it's all red and they're all coming in like, you know, the magnificent seven. And it's pretty badass. Yeah. Like, you know, as much as again, the show is, it's so well done. The actors are all good. You know, I don't need to be a broken record, but I mean, just because I didn't necessarily enjoy the direction this episode went doesn't mean it wasn't an awesome looking episode. Oh, yeah. Doesn't mean it wasn't handled well. And yeah, when you see them bust into the Mesa, it's like, yeah, that's, <laughs> you know, in a different show, you know, if I was just watching a strip action movie or something, it's like, yeah, this is pretty bad. It's like that scene that you would see in like action movies where the slow motion walking toward the camera with an explosion in the background, just, it was it, it looked really exactly. cool them all coming in together and they had a purpose yeah. and they're ready to they're ready to take over how intimidating would that be as a human you know knowing all this crazy stuff is going on but then to see this army marching towards yeah. you you know <laughs> fully loaded it's just like oh boy yeah after they had just crashed into the place when the, on a runaway train to, to mm-hmm. make their entrance just yeah Great scene, great imagery there. I don't remember the head soldier's guy's name that's there, the one with the mustache. He had a really oh, the jerk, yeah, the, the jerky one that had yeah. a really bad mouth last last week. I think, um, is it Asshat? Asshat, yeah. The soldier Asshat. Okay. Uh, he sends his crew, his uh, gun crew down to, to take out Dolores's, D- D- Dolores's crew. And uh, so we know a gunfight's about to happen. And uh, they put on this, this, I think is the first time we've seen it in the series as well, this gear that uh it kind of signals them by lighting up whenever a host is in a certain direction did you notice that uh i don't think i did it sounds familiar but so what is it what is it exactly it, it's like it's like a, a vest like say a bulletproof vest or, or some kind of of gear that they're wearing like say laser tag for oh, example so when yeah, yeah oh yeah, yeah. When, i do i did notice that i guess i didn't catch exactly what it was doing but i noticed that their outfits had some sort of a light on. light on it and the way i took it was that when like a a host was in that direction the light would light up on that part of their of their suit so they would start oh, that's in that cool. direction it was, it was yeah. really uh, neat what is that that you know what that really reminds me of like a video game when when your character mm. has you know i don't know if they're surrounded by like a ring and then the ring it lights up in a certain direction or something but like that's very video game-esque and this episode is kind of like uh kind of like doom like a game like doom where you're you know they're running around shooting everything they've got bad guys coming at them uh and so maybe because of the feel and the look of this episode um maybe they're trying to implement a little bit of a video game homage there yeah it could be they walk up to a pile of naked bodies and you would think that is uh a bunch of hosts yeah ooh, and uh they they take a look down at them and a better look at the faces and realize it's it's the response team the hosts have already been here and they are uh they took them from their gear so they could blend in and and take them by surprise. So, so where was Admiral Akbar? Yeah, no kidding. Scene? Yeah, we if he would have been there. Shout, just... It was a trap. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is that that's not your best Admiral Akbar impression? Oh, I have to, I have to do an impression. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's a trap. Oh my gosh, is Admiral Akbar here? I thought they, <laughs> he might didn't be. They kill him off. I called him because wow. I knew you were going to make me do it. <laughs> well, that's definitely going in the in the ISO uh, <laughs> section for next week. Carry on. Great. Yeah. Anytime there's a trap now, I'll uh, 
be happy to hear my oh, yeah. voice announcing it. Oh, that was you? I thought that was that <laughs> Cat's out of the bag now. Yeah. Okay, so pile of naked bodies. Pile of uh, naked bodies. Not hosts. The hosts are now wearing the, the gear from that response team that's all dead in that pile. Now, I, I would assume they're dead. I don't think they have any reason to keep them alive. <laughs> No, I, you know, it's not usually uh, why it's MO to just uh, put the people to sleep. So I'm guessing yeah, they're dead. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to make that clear. But uh, so, yeah, after that, it's, it cuts back to, uh, to Hale. Um, and what she's wanting to do, she's wanting to get that information um, that we don't know entirely what it is yet um, out of uh, Peter Abernathy. So um, she, she says, cut him open, start copying his control unit over to which the technician tells her tells her it's like that's a lot of data it's gonna take hours it's gonna take forever i think is what he says so uh she says slice open the back of his neck and just take you know and take the uh take the control unit let me ask you this so why on earth did they not just do that in the first place why on earth who cares about abernathy now i care about abernathy lewis hurtham amazing actor abernathy dolores's father love the relationship love the scenes everything delos why on earth do they care about keeping this control unit? Now I get when that you want you want them to blend in, you want to smuggle the data. Okay, I get that part. But now that everything's gone to crap and they just need to extract this package, which is this control unit, why on earth did they not just cut his head off, pull the thing out like episodes ago? Did, you know, I mean, doesn't that seem a little odd? I guess I I, I think. I'm trying to think of it from their perspective. They want that information. Uh, the The technician says later that, you know, we need, or I think Strand says later that we need to get that information up to the satellite. So I mm-hmm. think in their mind, the best way to do it is just like data migration. But I see. They don't want to like, they can't like FedEx the head over right, to, yeah. to the America or wherever they're going. So you're saying that like they want to extract the data, which means that he has to be plugged into something. Something. But again, to, your, to okay. your question is why don't they just take the unit out and do it somewhere else? Plug it in and plug it into the uh, cradle. The cradle. Yeah. Not like, not like the huge cradle machine, but even uh, Ferris Ferris in the first episode, I think, or the second episode, he had the little docking station uh you know that you would call a cradle when you're talking about a phone or a tablet or whatever but he had a little thing that he could just plug it into um so i mean obviously it could be for dramatic effect it could be because we of course don't want Abernathy to die i get all that but it seems like a little bit of a plot hole because unless unless they're risking the data being corrupted or you know it it might get damaged in some way i'm just like why would you not have cut it out way back when you were uh you know, staple gunning Abernathy to a chair. Like, why would you not just like, I'm going to take this unit out and plug it in. There we go. And as, I mean, as, to be fair, as far as we know, I mean, this scene could have taken place immediately after he was it plugged into that chair or nailed into that chair too, right? Yeah, that's true. It, it does jump around so much and sometimes but episode gaps in between. Exactly how long he's been sitting there. Could it could be five minutes. It could be five hours. You know, Maybe not five hours, but yeah, that's a good question. I I don't know why exactly they had to do it the way they did, but we do know from the important part of the scene is that there is so much information on there and it's so important that they do not want to screw it up. So they, they have to do it the right way is, is my, my guess. But uh, yeah, they start to slice open the back of the neck and then uh, there is a, notification i think it's from the radio that the hosts are here for the backups at the cradle somebody says it i don't have it listed here in my notes of who said it but that's when it becomes clear that they're here for the cradle and uh it cuts to elsie and bernard still in the cradle before we actually move to the cradle simulation that was left off from the week before yeah 
So um, going into that simulation, um, it starts off with Ford at the piano, which was the big revelation from the week before. And um, there's a lot of exciting things here. Aside from the action that, that might have been a turnoff for you and a lot of people, um, I think Ford came in and just slayed in this episode, giving people a bunch of answers. And, you know, there was a lot of speculation up to this point. So when he came back, he came back with a lot of information to, to be provided to the viewers. I will say I am so happy to have Anthony Hopkins back in this show. I was really worried a couple episodes. We talked about it uh, when you see his face in the reflection. And I was hoping that was just a cool shot and they didn't do it because they were like CGing a fake Ford that, you know, he wasn't really there. He maybe phoned in some audio. Uh, I was so happy to see him in the flesh in, you know, filming uh, with Jeffrey Wright. And uh, you know, it's just, it feels so good because again, I think he really elevated the first season there were a lot of great actors, you know, a g- great writing and everything. But when you have Sir Anthony Hopkins in a television show, especially one of this caliber, it just brings it to the next level. And I really missed having him on this show. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I was happy to see him. Everybody, I think, that, that watches the show regularly when he showed up. I mean, a lot of people, I would, I'd, I'd like to think, because I was one of them thinking that we're going to get him in some way or another. I mean, we've had him through voices throughout the whole season. But, you know, an appearance like that, like I knew that going into this week, it was going to be, it was going to be a great comeback for him. So yeah, this is awesome. This is yeah. a great, great part. Yeah. So Bernard asked him how he's alive and uh, he has a really uh, cool quote regarding uh, James Delos saying, uh, do you think James Delos would have spent all that money just to resurrect himself? He would have preferred death to a bad investment. So it was kind of a, I took it as a nod to the work that they were doing. Um, to make you know the investment worth it but also you know ford got to got to play around and and perfect what they were per- possibly perfect what they're trying to do or what delos was trying to do and that line is so good because in the little time that we've gotten to know james delos what over basically two episodes uh, right. you know, he had that one amazing episode where he was the spotlight but you know we really only were introduced to him i think in maybe episode two and then it was episode four and yep. Um, but what we know of James Dallas, that's so true that it's like, yeah, he isn't going to spend all his money just to save his own life, which of course you would think, well, that's irreplaceable, but that's who he was. He was such a businessman and it it took so much convincing to even get him to invest until you like opened his eyes. Williams says, oh, we can get all this data and sell it and everything. And even though it was unethical, it sounded profitable and that's what got him interested in it. So yeah, it's a really funny line about the character who we only knew for a short time, but uh, we really got a great idea of his character and um, it was just, it was a great performance. Yeah. And I think every, almost every line from, uh, from Anthony Hop- or from Robert Ford in this, in this episode is important and just, just written so well. And what we're going to get into, I put a lot of them in here, here in the notes yeah. because I think that they just, they're written well, they're, they're delivered well, and they're just so important to the overall story of, of Westworld anyway. So well, it's Sir um, freaking Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> I mean, you're not going to give him some piddly little lines. like, and, and especially since, like I mentioned, he just elevates everything he has anyway. So, right. uh, yeah. I mean, unless it's Transformers 5. If it's Transformers 5, <laughs> then I'm thinking, like, you know, someone's trying to take advantage of their, like, great uncle or something that, like, doesn't know where he is. They, like, they must have drugged him to get him to do that movie. I don't know. It was so weird. Uh, and so bizarre. I'm, yeah, I'm still thankful that I haven't seen it. 
Oh, okay. So yeah, so I, <laughs> you don't even know what I'm talking about. Please. No, but I can imagine after after three Transformers movies, I was I was pretty checked out from. Yeah. Before. So it's something about King Arthur, the robots. They're like King Arthur robots, and and yeah. he's the decide of good lord. Just please, Hard but, pass. Yeah. Back to this one. <laughs> yeah. So uh, as they're talking um, after that line from from Ford, uh, Clementine shows up and drops her. Uh, her uh, program line to, to reel in the the new guest in the West World, and before Maeve comes around, says he he's not uh, he's not going to fall for it. I forget the exact wording that they use, but it was uh, it was nice to see them back to how we used to see them in in the uh, beginning of season one. Yeah, with, that was uh, where Maeve's at now, and where Clementine is at it now. Especially, she hasn't. I don't think she's spoken all season because she's had that what lobotomy. No, and, right? And, no, no, she's zombie, zombie Clementine. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So it was nice seeing uh, old old versions of them in this simulation. Um, Those were easier times and better days yeah. for our hosts. <laughs> you know, it's only been a season, but it, geez, right. a lot has happened. So much has happened, exactly. Um, so yeah, uh, Ford goes on to say, I don't think God rested on the seventh day. I think he re- reveled in his creation, knowing that someday it would be destroyed. And uh, throughout the next uh, bit of dialogue um, between him and Bernard, it's confirmed that what the control unit that Bernard created was, was Ford. He basically, he basically said, what do you think it was? I had you create. That's a check. That's a check for Mr. Tinfoil over here. Yep. Yep. So, um, we know that, uh, Bernard's been carrying around or at certain episodes, this, um, this season, he, he had Ford in his pocket. Yeah. And then, uh, and also confirmed with that, um, I think we can probably a hundred percent say that the physical form of, of Robert Ford is dead. Do you agree? Yeah, so I that think, I think you've always agreed with that. I've always always had a th- theory, not a theory, but a th- in the back of my mind, thinking that that some way maybe Ford was a host. Yeah, no, but, I think this yeah. this is definite. This is Ford dead confirmed. Uh, this is all that's left of him, which is his consciousness in the cradle. Yeah. So cats in the cradle. Yeah, so those are two two big uh, two big reveals. Um happy to happy to see like I said Ford came in or Anthony Hopkins came back and they're just giving you information just like that. Um yeah. speaking of snapping my fingers, um the next line by Ford says ever wonder why the host stories have have barely changed in 30 years and he snaps his fingers and everyone freezes. So him and Bernard are walking around Sweetwater now. Um having a very important conversation about the context of what what they're doing at Westworld. Um, Bernard is putting it together himself instead of being told by Ford, he's putting it together because we know Bernard's smart and um, says the park is an experiment. Guests are variables, hosts are the controls. Guests come to the park. They don't know they're being watched and get to see their true selves, what really drives them. And uh, so Delos can understand and copy them because we know that James Delos wanted to continue to live through, you know, his uh, medical condition. So I guess, you know, Aside from the experience and the money being made from Westworld, you know, there's all kinds of information being passed that the general public doesn't know about. All kinds of data. It's, so Bernard- it's crazy because even uh, Bernard says that he says that he he thought the loops were for the hosts and to, yeah. you know to keep them you know for their memories or what or whatnot. You know, keeping them on their loops was very important for them to function. But no, this is a huge experiment, and they are the constant variable in this in this right. experiment. And so yeah, it's it's crazy to get these things on you know unfolding and and uh, we've we've speculated that this is true since the beginning of the season. I know I've mentioned Future World and the way that they use DNA and cloning to replace people and uh, infiltrate different arms of whether it be government or large businesses. 
And I really am still thinking that, I mean, we know they're clearly doing all this DNA uh, experimentation and trying to copy people. And I really feel like the end result, or at least their end goal, will be to infiltrate uh, different levels of society and government. Sure. Yeah, it very well could be. Uh, Ford goes on to say that everything in the world has been copied, you know, backed up except the human mind. It's the last analog device in the digital world. So, you know, that was the goal as, as we've been discussing that to uh, figure out how to uh, to not code host, but decode the guest is what Bernard follows up with. That's great. Great writing. Yeah, very good. And uh, Ford, he drops a quick little hint that like it doesn't work. And then he throws in a not yet. So. Yeah, like I think they're on the. He might know something that that uh, William and Jim and them didn't know, because uh, he was always you know the the creator. So um, he might have something in the back of his mind that he's working on. Yeah, um, is the way that I took it. It's going to be interesting to see because as of right now, Ford is just uh, is just this digital code in inside the cradle. Like he's not, he doesn't have a physical body and he says that it can't work yet. Obviously, like you said, and as we saw with Jim Delos, so it's like Ford can't leave either the cradle or if he has some other vessel or machine that we're going to get into. But uh, as of right now, he can't just leave uh, and, and resume, you know, things as, as uh, usual. So it will be interesting to see if we end up at the end of this season or even going into season three, are we going to get another form of Ford and have him kind of be a full-time, you know, human host hybrid walking around in Westworld or outside wherever this goes. Yeah, I think he's up to something. He did have a line that says something along the lines like, I, I can only survive here. I, I would degrade so quickly outside, outside of the simulation or right, something. Right. I, didn't, I didn't write that down. But um, yeah, he's definitely very self-aware of what he can and can't do. And I think he's working toward something amazing. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, Bernard says all the hosts are headed for the Valley Beyond. And my probably favorite line, and it sums up Westworld incredibly, in anything that you're that's you know fans are passionate about or fully vested in but ford says it twice throughout this episode and i think it's probably my favorite line of the show um isn't the pleasure of a story discover discovering the ending yourself right it's like he's not going to give him the answer it's 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 a it's a i think it's kind of a meta line for you know for the viewers because everybody especially with shows like westworld dive in and try to figure out every little thing and try to figure out what's going on before it happens. Right. Like you did last yeah. season with the man in black twist and, and all that stuff. You, you find these things and you're so passionate about it, but a line like that, you know, it, it's just very self aware of, you know, like being able to discover, you know, what you're getting into. And well, I, I just love that line and they reference it again later on. Can I give you another take on that, which is similar, but a little different. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I, so Bernard is asking Ford to, to tell him the end game and Ford says, isn't the pleasure of a story in discovering the ending yourself. And so I think what's interesting is that I find parallels with it doing exactly what I love to do. And all these other tinfoil theorists love to do. It's not necessarily, you don't want spoilers. You don't want to just go out and find a leaked script or something and read the last sure, page. Sure. But, but, quote discovering the ending for yourself like i feel like by theorizing and going in and deep diving and everything like you are actually 
you're not letting them just feed it to you. You are discovering the ending for yep. yourself. And so that's kind of how I take it. It's still meta for the fans and, and all that, but I kind of take it as a positive thing. Like, Hey, you guys keep doing what you're doing. And isn't it more enjoyable when like, you know, whether you're right or wrong, but especially when you're right, it's like, aha, I figured exactly. it out for myself. Yeah. Like this show, like I would, I would be enjoying it, you know, regardless of doing this podcast, um, just watching it week to week, but getting in, getting on Reddit or on, on, uh, you know, fan sites and, and seeing what people are saying and, and trying to piece things together. Every little thing, details that some per, one person sees and another person doesn't and able to, to link a couple things together and, you know, doing this podcast, listening to other podcasts. Um, MySpace. It just makes the experience. Going on MySpace. Did you say MySpace? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> MySpace, yes. That's twice that MySpace has come up today in conversation and it's oh, so weird. To it's making that. a comeback. <laughs> it was a, there was a thing that said, there's a generation of people who don't even know what MySpace is. And I was like, that's very true. And it's so weird. This is neither here nor there, but do you find it? I find it very funny. So if you go on Facebook, you'll get links to Twitter. And if you go on Twitter, you'll find links to Facebook and they share back and forth to one another. People post things from both. I mean, Facebook and Twitter are both very obviously popular. Facebook's more the older crowd. Twitter's more the younger crowd, but they live together and mesh very well. I have never, I don't believe I've ever once, I mean, in over 10, 15 years, whatever it was, I don't think I've ever seen someone post a tweet or a Facebook comment about something that was on MySpace to go look at. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's still a thing, apparently. It, it but exists, I, right? It's, a big, like, it's like music. It's like for artists. They're, they're, or I mean, they're trying to get it. So like MySpace now, instead of being for, for people, it's like bands have a MySpace page and they share their music and their videos through that. Um, but, but wouldn't you think, though, that if it was effective and people were using it on Facebook, you would see someone share something from MySpace? Yeah, that you would think, you know, so, without those two references today, I would, you know, I yeah. wouldn't even think about MySpace. Poor so Tom. Yeah. I hope Tom made <laughs> He's it. still my friend. I hope he yeah. made out well. I don't know if he ended up selling for a lot of money or if he like just gave it away, but uh, I'm always thinking Hopefully about He invested in dollars. Oh, I. <laughs> <laughs> what? That is going to be the ultimate Easter egg is that is uh, <laughs> Delos is actually owned by MySpace and Tom. <laughs> We're going to see a Tom host eventually (laughs) with that over the shoulder smile, that that iconic picture that everybody recognizes. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So anyway, back to, back to Westworld, not MySpace. Uh, We actually are in Westworld now uh, for the, for the first time in a while. Uh, We get to see man in black and the, uh, and the crew riding away from ghost nation. Um, Maeve and her, and their her daughter. Um, do we know the daughter's name? I I, I don't have. I just it. call her Maeve's daughter. Maeve's daughter. Okay, but uh, yeah, she finds her daughter, and uh, they go into that cabin. We've seen them in that cabin several times through different narratives, different timelines. Hey, I I just um, I do want to point this out because it is relevant. At least it could be relevant for this show. Uh, the actor who plays Maeve's daughter, her name is Jasmine Ray. Uh, she does a very good okay. job. Um, she is credited she, as Maeve's daughter. Oh wow! But interesting. So the reason, and yeah, I figured we keep calling her oh, that. I figured the, I was thinking about the name perspective, but the fact that like is actually Maeve's daughter, right? So the fact that Ooh. it says Maeve's daughter could mean multiple things. It could mean nothing. But is right. it either is she not it? But is she the host? Whatever. Well, it's a host. Yeah. 
is is she actually Maeve's daughter, or is she another character that we're going to have some kind of reveal or twist around? Um, are we crazy with too much tinfoil to spare? I, I don't know, but just know that Jasmine Ray, the actor, her character is credited as on IMDb Maeve's daughter. So Maeve's daughter that could mean something, but at least we're not crazy for calling her that and not knowing her name. Right? No, not at all. So um, they have they're in the cabin, and uh, he she asks Maeve. She goes, "What if they?" Uh, what if they take me with them? And Maeve, you know, being strong and as strong as she is and, and uh, confident, she says, I'll come find you. I made a promise. And that gives her the, you know, the girl, the, the confidence that everything's going to be all right. And Maeve, like, you know, like with all the work she's done to get there to, to find her daughter from the end of season one till now, like you believe her, you know, she'll do whatever it takes to, to protect her. So, um, the man in black shows up. It, that's that familiar scene that we've seen where they're sitting there at the back wall. You see somebody pop a, or somebody going by the window. You see the, the hooves of the, of the horse and uh, the man in black enters You know, and it flashes back. Let me ask you. Uh, so we've seen this play out over and over again. Like you said, the man in black, he's a human though. So he's not on a loop. I mean, at least, right. you know, that would be some crazy theory we've talked about. Maybe he isn't, but for the most part, or probably, man of black William is a human. So he's not on loop. He's not set to have to do this, but we've seen this scene so many times. He, the man of black, you know, supposed human isn't made to go in this direction to enter the door from that direction. So I don't know if this is just, uh, you know, symbolic or a metaphor or, um, is it possible that those scenes we've seen in the past were actually from this moment? Uh, I could be reading way too far into it, but you know, we've seen like almost this exact scene, and I'm not even sure if like those were different times or this time. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm not sure. I don't know why he would be going into into the the cabin other than to to hide from Ghost Nation at that point. Because when he turns around, Caesar, he says, "Not you." Like this is too obvious. Right. Um, because he thinks he's he's talking to Ford now. He thinks everything that he's running into right now is a play from Ford. He's starting to sound. And- crazy like yeah calling everybody ford you know thinking his daughter's ford and you know last week most people are ford but now he's even thinking humans are ford and so yeah he's starting to sound like a nut job yeah so he makes a comment uh it's like uh your rules have changed you're just like the rest of them or just like the rest of them and she and mave makes you know a big strong statement i'm nothing like the rest of them Mm -hmm. and uh she i think she shoots him at that point i I'm sorry to the listeners. I don't remember exactly, uh, but at one, eventually she does. But um, what she does for the most part of this scene is go into her Maeve Jedi mode and turn everybody against uh, all of uh, all of the hosts that are with Man in Black um, leading into this moment uh, so, against him. Yeah, let me tell you. So yeah, spoiler alert, Man in Black gets shot a lot. He does get shot by Maeve in this scene. He also gets shot by Maeve later and gets shot by everybody else she's controlling, like you said. But this is one of the main main problems I had with this. So if you're going to try to pull on our emotions and you're going to try to manipulate us like this, like either the man in black and William, they are a character who we've followed now for two seasons who we're invested in. Uh, Love him or hate him. I mean, the, the actors are amazing and the character is intriguing. And it's like, you really want to see how this plays out. And so you, at this point in the scene, you have a really, really good feeling that he's not going to die. But then to have sure. him shot up this much and to try right. to, again, pull on your emotions and manipulate you, 
to the brink of like, well, he's human. How could he possibly survive this and not kill him off? I just think that's a little unfair. I think that is too manipulative. And it's like yeah. either either have the guts to kill him off and be like, oh my gosh, you know, other movies have done this, whether it be Star Wars, whether it be Avengers Infinity War. It's like, if you're going to try to manipulate us into, oh my gosh, one of our favorite characters or, oh wow, one of the most popular characters, whatever it is, are going to die. It's like, do it, pull, pull the trigger, do it. And then we can all be amazed. Like, wow, they actually did it. But like, if you're not going to do that, don't shoot him 70 times and then <laughs> have him cling on. And so you're like, Oh, whew, you know, no, he, he just barely escaped. It's like, because you know, then you just feel like, well, he's invincible. Like if that didn't kill him, what will kill this guy? Uh, yeah. The way, the way I took it was uh, when I watched it today, cause I thought about that specifically, I forgot about yeah. how much he got shot because the first time I watched it, I was like, Holy cow, he's taking a lot of bullets. But mm-hmm. I think it was only three or four times. And the way that I try to uh, let it slide, I guess, because okay. I, I don't want to, to, you know, dislike the show or, or, or the choice. <laughs> I don't, either. Make, I don't either, Brad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love this so, show. <laughs> exactly. You know, but you know, they got to make, like you said, they got to make believable choices with, with things like that. Yeah. So uh, the way I tried to justify it to myself today was that we know that when like the host gets shot, in uh in Westworld, like they're programmed to take it as like instant death, right? Sure. Like yeah, so we've seen them get shot in the shoulder and just fall over dead, you know, and so many gunfights, so many shootouts. So I like to think that the when the man in black was shot, when the when the coding and stuff was changed, uh, because we saw we saw a test in the first or in the second episode in Raj World where she shot a guy what happened with that? Cause I'm starting to blink now, but like it was a test, right? She was testing him to see if he was a host. Right. So, when- so basically as we know, just going over the rules again. So uh, when a host shoots another host, they can kill them. It's full damage. When a host shoots a human guest, uh, it is just like you get bruised. So it's, uh, I would think okay. it's something to do with the the velocity of the bullet. Maybe it's, uh, gun- that's exactly where I was going. Yeah, less, the velocity. Yeah. I don't think like these, like they're guns. They shoot like guns. They look like guns. They, and they, for all intents and purposes for Westworld, they're guns. Right. Like we've seen hosts get killed by, you know, one shot kills and everything. I don't want to think that they're like full powered guns. But, like of course he's been shot and he's bleeding from it. But we've seen but it though. Like, like remember the the hosts the hosts can kill now and we've seen them shoot people and like I get it that back back in the day it was it was that one way and we even I think on the first episode we talked about this because I know you had some confusion over it but like I know it used to be like that but now uh, you've got all these crazy hosts running around like shooting and murdering humans and uh murdering the the people that were at the the party the forge reveal party um you know we've seen them do all this stuff and so i i can't imagine that the rules are like kind of changing around like i think these guns are guns at this point okay yeah and maybe that's the case the the fact though those i mean he was shot in the leg he was shot in the shoulder he wasn't shot anywhere like critically like the head or anything i i think he was shot somewhere near the chest though which was the concern that was the kill shot yeah so i was like Especially when when Lawrence walks up at the end, which we'll get to here in uh, in just a second, yeah. but you know he he was going up for like the kill shot on mm-hmm. on Man in Black. So, um, you know maybe I'm just off in my own little world thinking that you know like he did he did take a lot of bullets. I don't remember the exact count. It's at least three times. 
Well, and uh, yeah, and, and I, you know, again, I'm not saying that it's impossible that he could survive or whatnot, but I mean, it's pretty substantial to a guy that's already been shot earlier, that's been through a lot of crap, and you know, it's yeah. like this guy's already been shot so many times and, and is, you know, pretty miraculously healed from these wounds. But you know, I'll give him that. It's a fantasy television show, whatnot. It's fine, but it's like sure. when this guy he gets shot in the shoulder and he gets shot in the leg and then he gets shot again somewhere in the chest or whatnot. Um, and then when it comes down to it, like you said, uh, uh, Lawrence tries to save him and Maeve ends up convincing him. Like she's basically like, search yourself, you know, see what he's yeah. done to you. And Lawrence starts remembering all those, you know, traumatizing yep. scenes. Of, he's woke. Yeah, he is. He starts remembering the times that he killed Lawrence's wife. Man in Black shot the wife after dancing with her and, you know, terrorized him and the daughter and everything. And when he remembers that, he kind of, you know, he turns. Yeah, on Man in Black actually like adds to it too he says no i saved her this time and then lawrence looks at him like this time and then he starts remembering all the times that you know he's encountered man in black and and all the things that he's done that just you know built up and he goes in for that for that kill shot but uh the rescue team shows up and shoots lawrence so man in black uh gets to live another day uh the ghost nation shows up and takes the daughter and uh Maeve gets shot up by the rescue crew as well before Lee comes out and says, no, 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 no. She's not like the others. We need to, we need to preserve her because there's something different about, about Maeve. He doesn't quite know, you know, he's seen what she can do, but he doesn't know why she can do all that stuff. If I recall correctly. And I think that at this point, Lee is still torn between his perception of host. Still, he's still, you know, he's, he's the one that writes the scripts. He's the one that makes their lives, at least, you know, creates these lives that they live. And so I can understand how he would, you know, be hesitant about uh, thinking of them as anything more than machines. But then also he spent all this time with Maeve. And uh, I, I really do think that even though he hasn't shown it completely and he's called for backup and all that stuff behind her back, like I really think he's on the edge teetering back and forth between like, I actually do care about this, this person, quote unquote, that's you right. know, more than a host. And so, yeah, it's it, clearly Lee does not want her to die because again, I think he has deep down, he has those feelings and it's not anything sexual per se. It's just, it's just like, you know, I've spent all this time and been through so much. I care about this entity. Right. But, um, but yeah, so the, the main thing is after he gets shot the three or four times, whatever it is, man in black gets shot by Lawrence, which I mean, it looked like it was in the chest. Um, I could be mistaken, but you know, he shoots him pretty, you know, pretty point blank, uh, you know, blood pops out. Um, I think it may have been towards the right. So, okay. It didn't go through his heart. Obviously that would be tough to cover up, but, uh, but yeah, he shoots him, you know, for at least a, a third or a fourth time at this point. Uh, yeah. The first time I saw this episode when it aired, I, uh, I like jumped back in my seat, like, no, cause yeah. I do not want to see the man in black go anywhere. Not like right. that. So like they're, you know, he's, he's on a mission for something and did to, to come apparent, maybe, you know, this close. We don't know how close he is to completing whatever Ford has, uh, going yeah. for him, but, uh, but that's the thing, you, you know, know, they're not going to do it. So it's like, man, you're going to beat them up that much, even though, you know, uh, and then when I zoomed in on the picture it, it, from, from closer up after man in black was on the ground, it looks like he shot him. It's it's not on the chest at all. That fourth shot that looked like the kill shot was like maybe a little bit under his chest. Uh, it was more to the left side, but you know, almost in his ribs or something, but still it's like, ugh. still, yeah. yeah, he's, he's, he's not well off. No. Like the scene ends with him, uh, with him uh, hiding behind a barrel and, and breathing. So um, he's, he, he got up and moved. He's, he's able to move, but he's uh he's a little worse for wear right now. Yeah. 
So, uh, yeah, the show, uh, we moved back to uh, the Mesa where uh, where Hale's getting impatient. She's like, what's taking so long? Her technician tells her it's the data is too large to migrate. Like, I don't know if she's not able to yeah. get it or what. But uh, so she ultimately says an open his head and we'll, we'll take out the whole there unit. So maybe I mis- mistook that from the uh, from the first scene when she there was a, they started slicing his neck for, for a reason. No, they started. They I'm, started I'm, trying to get in there. Um, and maybe it was just a patch in a uh, better line than the arm or something. But but sure. uh, yeah, at this point, they're like, yeah, let's go. And this is where I'm like, thank you. Yeah, get this thing out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, she said, open his head. We'll take the whole unit. And then there's some radio chatter about gunfire. So uh, it goes back to inside the cradle where um, where Ford and Bernard are still having uh, a little bit of <laughs> exposition or I don't want to say exposition, but just information dropping for for all the viewers and exposition. Yeah. So, yeah, he goes, I need you to I need you to see how it all began and to understand why you're different. And uh, he takes them to where Arnold uh, was building a home for his family and, and reveals that Arnold was uh, would always build here first before, you know, going anywhere else. So it was like his playground, his his testing to, to find, you know, will this work or this is the way I took it. And especially, I guess, with the home, like, I guess he could design whatever he wanted and, and decide if he liked it. That's a pretty sweet pad. Uh, I mean, it's definitely a little overgrown. Uh, it needs to needs to get the lawn service over there, but uh, it's a pretty sweet setup. Yeah. So uh, Bernard is quick to realize or quick to remember that this is where he was created. He said mm-hmm. only uh, only memories of Arnold were from Ford and uh, from her is what they say at first. And and Bernard realizes it was Dolores um, that was doing the fidelity test on which we saw I think last week or the week before in the episode that, before. It's so cool to tie that together because we talked about this, and again from episode one we knew something was different, and the the, the creators were you know smart enough to to separate the uh, the different aspect ratios to actually tell us in you know which which timeline so to speak or which uh, viewpoint we're coming from, and so we knew something was up, and we did find out in that last episode we're like oh my gosh Dolores was the one actually interviewing or doing the test on Bernard. And so I I think this is really cool how Ford explains it. And it makes perfect sense because Arnold created Dolores. She was the first host and art. And so Dolores would be the one who would spend more time with Arnold, more time than even Ford. Uh, she was his his passion and his his work and everything exactly. that he cared about outside of his family. You know, it all went into creating this host, Dolores. And so, yes, of course, with all her memories that she's storing of him, she would be the perfect one to uh, do that fidelity test. And uh, I just yep. really like that. How um, you know, it's all started to come together. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dolores knew Arnold better than anyone. Uh, it took many years for Bernard to, to fool her, uh, as Arnold, um, as, as Ford, this is all what Ford's revealing. Um, and then there's a flashback of Dolores saying that you're almost the man I remember from those fidelity tests that we've, that we've seen throughout the, uh, throughout the season so far. Cold. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> Cold. Yeah. You're almost the man I remember. So he was getting there. Um, let's see. Bernard and yeah, Bernard asks how he's different, uh, from Jim and Ford explains that Bernard and all the other hosts are something completely different An original work is what he calls them. He said, you don't just have the will to, or you just don't have it in you to survive. And it's my fault. And, uh, Ford takes back his free will. It's a, I, I kind of summarize that a little, there's a lot more dialogue there. So sure. I didn't, I didn't really do it justice there, but, no, um, it's, Ford I'm, basically, uh, he takes back um, 
Bernard's free will. He, he puts his hand up to to Bernard's head, and and from the angle then that it's shot, he's putting it up to the camera, like saying, "I have to, I have to take this back from you." Hmm. So um, that comes into play here again pretty quickly, though, because uh, that's when the uh, the system reboots. Bernard comes out of the cradle, and uh, we see the control unit go back into his head. Elsie standing there, and it's fusing. They the machine fuses his head back together. Yeah, we saw how painful it was, and now to seal it up again, it's like just laser to yeah. his scalp. Ouch! Yeah, it it was it almost, and it looked like you know. Everything was fine. Well, we've seen that technology though in the show, though, where they can just get rid of any kind sure. of embellish and stuff. So, I know. Yeah. Don't you wish, like, in your glove compartment, you had that little laser tool that, like, you know, oh, oh I'm yeah. injured. I've either been shot or hurt, <laughs> or you know, I have a mosquito bite. Whatever, zap. You're better. Yeah, that would be uh, would be sweet. We need to need to call up Jim Delos. I'm gonna call up uh, Tom over at MySpace. See yeah. what he's got going. <laughs> I know he's still my friend. I can log back. I don't even know if I remember my MySpace password. Oh my gosh! I don't even know if I, what email address I used. But anyway, I uh, think my, I think MySpace is the cradle. Yeah, everyone <laughs> in MySpace is just posts. Yeah. <laughs> it really is MySpace. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, so yeah, Elsie and Elsie uh, and Bernard are now aware that the Mace is under attack, and Elsie uh, has a really cute line of. Uh, you know, if we survive this, I'm going back to dental school. Is what she says. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, there's whole campaigns out there. We need to get Elsie through dental school. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah, those people on the internet are crazy. I, know, I love it. That's the fan communities for shows like this uh, are the best. And so, y- you guys, everyone listening, uh, just I love it. The creativity is so great. Yeah. Before talking to you today, I had no idea she was in that uh, Last of Us Two coming out next year. So yeah. it got me even more excited. I, I really like her in this show, and yeah. I hope to see her in a lot more stuff. Yeah, she's great. Shannon Woodward is the uh, actress. Yep. So uh, yeah, we move on to uh, the Mesa, and I think we're yeah we're back to Hale and Stubbs. Uh, Stubbs has uh, some pretty uh, fun dialogue here. Uh, Dolores is shooting people up, and uh, she's got her Wyatt uh, and uh, her companion uh, Wyatt Junior, uh, <laughs> who needs to be Teddy. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get to that in just a second. I want to I want to touch on the on Stubbs' lines here. He uh, okay. He wants to know what's going on, and, and Hale won't tell him. Says it's above your pay grade. So he pulls out a gun on Abernathy, and he, he points at Abernathy, and Hale doesn't know what to do because you know she needs that data. That's the number one goal with all, throughout all of this and he goes i'm putting in for a raise and i i lost <laughs> it at that line because you know Stubbs, you know he's barely in in the show but you know every time that he's in it so far this season like his presence has been has been fun i really like that line these lines are really great and i totally agree but the other thing is though is i'm just getting more and more worried for Stubbs because yeah. when they when they see when hale and uh you know uh uh, strand when they see that there's uh, a variable like Stubbs who's willing to put his gun to Abernathy's head who is the more important than any of their lives or jobs here it's like well they're just gonna get rid of this guy at the first chance they can so I'm like you know Stubbs you need to like tone it down a little bit just for your own safety yeah yeah he's a uh, I I do feel I, I agree with you I feel like he's expendable and uh his yeah. days I get it yeah but we'll see. Hopefully he can he can watch your back, Stubbs. Hopefully he can pull it out. I mean, we we do see him in the beginning of the of the season, and that and what looks to be like an ultimate flash forward to where they're heading. Mm-hmm. So we know that he's probably going to be there for the end game of this season, at least. So yeah, yeah. I mean, we're still not to the point. Uh, what was it? Eleven and a half days yep. is when we see everybody face down in the water from episode one. Sounds right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we know that Teddy's still alive here. 
uh, we're getting closer, but we're not quite there. And, uh, you know, this is episode seven, so we've only got a few more uh, until we can bookend things, I'm guessing. Yeah. Hashtag Team Stubbs. Let's go. LC <laughs> <laughs> Dental School and, and uh, let's get Stubbs alive right. at the end of this thing. We're here for the little guys. All right, so uh, yeah, then Hale she she does finally respond to him under that pressure of of losing everything. Um, so Stubbs, you know, to get that information, he uh, he he's successful. She says it's it's a fail safe of a fail safe, a decryption key for a catastrophic incident. To which he, of course, you know, quickly responds like this one. You know, we're being attacked. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Dolores and, and her crew come uh, come pummeling in, and. Uh, there's a really funny, again, another Stubbs moment where he punches Teddy, you know, badass Teddy now is what I call him. And, um, and, and Teddy just like, he punches him and quickly reacts back to just being straight face to face with him. It's, it's so quick. Like it, it doesn't yeah. hurt him. It doesn't affect him in any way. He just punches him in the face and looks right back at him and keeps that gun cocked in the middle of his forehead. And well, it's like punching, it's like punching the Terminator. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was incredible. I, I laughed at that too. I was like, man, I shouldn't be laughing because I want Stubbs to live through this. But like, this, this is just a great scene. I really liked it. It's fun. What do you, so what do you think this means? So uh, Hale just told Stubbs that this is, uh, you know, a fail safe of a fail safe. It's this complex decryption key. Uh, what do you think that means now having seen the episode? Are we thinking that this, the data is actually backed up somewhere else but encrypted? And this is now the, the large password that like, you know, the, the data, wherever it is, if it is stored elsewhere, would be so large that it's like this is the key that also is, you know, so, so large or is this actually the uh, guest and host data. What is this thing? I'm not sure. I spoke. I, it was either after last week's episode or between this episode and and us recording that I, I talked to you or somebody about it. And I think what I was thinking initially was that um, at some point in this season, that what was in Peter's head was those backups. Like for somehow or mm-hmm. another, like we know that the cradle is is the the host backups, but I felt like for some reason he had. You know, we know that this data was so huge that like, right that like did uh, they download the entire cradle of backups into, into his a host, head? Though, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. It, it, it doesn't crazy. seem plausible, but like it's clearly something very, very important. But I, I can't say exactly what I think it is. But then the question would be: so if he's not the data and he's just the key that unlocks the data, where is that data backed up? Because you know we're going to see what happens to the cradle, but. Uh, either he's got the data or the data has got to be somewhere, but if it's that large, where would they keep it? Like, again, it's, we don't quite have an answer yet. So it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out, but a lot of questions about this package. So yeah, just a few more weeks to to fit it all together. It's going to be interesting. Can't wait. So yeah, I I don't have a a real answer of what I think it is. Uh, I'm, Oh, I'm asking Tom. Yeah, <laughs> I'll ask Tom later. Keep going. Yeah, so then we uh, we finally get. Uh, I don't want to say finally because it did happen earlier in the season as well. But Teddy or not Teddy, uh, Dolores and Peter uh, are reunited once again. Um, this time, you know, while he's in the hands of of you know Charlotte and and Delos instead of being in uh, in Westworld. So, but what we haven't seen is Dolores and Hale. These two stone cold, I don't want to say killers necessarily, because I mean, you know, Hale's done some some iffy crap, but you know what I mean? Like these two exactly. are like these strong, badass female characters who clearly believe lives are expendable. And it's like to see these two face to face and interacting. Yeah. Like 
you know, to the two of these people in, in the room together, it's like, oh my gosh, is it just going to implode? Like, these are two big personalities. And so it was really interesting yep. finally seeing them react and to like, just the looks, just the looks yep. that Dolores exactly gives Hale. Like, touch on. The facial expressions, just like, oh my gosh, it's so fantastic. She's talking to Peter and when Hale says something to her, Charlotte says something to her, Dolores turns around with this just menacing look. Like it gave death, me chills like the way that she stared, the, the way she looked at Hale and then just slowly approached her. And I'm like, it's about to go mm-hmm. down. It's great. Yeah. It, it was incredible. And then, yeah. So Dolores says, I want, I want what's in Peter's head. Hale said, you wouldn't even know what to do with it. And she says it, you know, kind of a snarky way. Like she knows she's in danger, but she's like, you wouldn't even know what to do with it. You know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, Dolores, she says, she responds. She goes, I know exactly what I'm going to do with it. And mm-hmm. so we're back to uh, Elsie and Bernard still at the Mesa. And uh, Bernard, as they're walking out of the cradle, looks into uh, a window, uh, a reflective window and sees sees Ford. So mm-hmm. we looks can, like someone's escaped yeah, the cradle. Someone's escaped the cradle through through uh, Bernard's uh, th- host. And uh, you know what he meant by taking away his free will is now that now Ford is within Bernard's uh, host body, and basically he's not like controlling him like through f- being Ford. He's telling Bernard what to do. So it's it, he's basically acting as Bernard's conscious. Even though yeah, Bernard- I took this, he's taken over. Like Bernard is there, but he can't. Like when Ford tells him to do something, he has to do it. It's, do it. Yep. Ford is at the controls. Like this is like whatever the movies are, where there's like a little person or alien controlling a huge robot or a human. You know, Ford is in the Bernard driver's seat. Sure. He is, you know, pulling the strings. And again, I feel so bad for Bernard because you've just got this innocent guy that Ford has been manipulating I'll since the first season. You. I just thought it's, yeah. it's kind of like get, get out right ah that's a very good if you haven't seen get out go see it it's amazing but yeah it's like yeah you just you can't control you're there yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a body there yeah. but there's a piece of somebody else that's controlling you there so mm-hmm. only a fragment of the person that body uh exists but like the mind is basically somebody else so yeah i don't think it's that that extensive in this one but clearly he's he's, no, he's got the, the controls of, of of bernard but bernard still has all his memories and all his everything that he has learned and knows is, is still present, but he's being controlled by, by Ford. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's get to shoot him up. Yeah. Get the shoot. Him up. We're just about there. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, Bernard convinces, you know, he basically, or Ford tells Bernard's like, we need to get rid of Elsie. So basically Bernard com- comes up with some reason for Elsie to, to leave, like go get guns or something. So, yeah. Um, yeah, then we're, we're still at the Mesa, um, with the hosts and the rescue team, um, is this is what you're talking about to shoot them up. I thought it was a couple scenes later, but it's, it's the very next scene. Uh, mm-hmm. it comes into, uh, to zombie Clementine, just shooting in every direction. It was like no facial expression changes or anything. She's just standing there like the zombies that she is and just shooting everybody. It was kind of, it was kind of chilling and kind of badass at the same time. Sure. Um, yeah, so the rescue team at the at the same point, uh, it was like a stormtroopers at some point where they just Who, uh, do they just hire anybody off the street right, to be? Yeah. This is a, this is another problem I have with this. Okay, so fine, you got some action. It's you know, like it's cool. It looks realistic with the guns and everything. Fine, but the fact is that in in movies like this or shows like this that do this thing where the the heroes are invincible, it's like. 
I just can't believe that the most badass of the badass, the QA team, cannot just hit any of these people. It's yeah. like, you know, it, it, that's just another thing that's like, this show's so smart and so clever. But again, you're giving us that kind of manipulation where it's like, you can have this huge firefight and they just, you know, they're just picking them off left and right. All the QAs are falling. And uh, I just feel like this is such a tactical response team. Like they should be able to take out these. Yeah, hosts. They, they introduce them as these like badass jerks that are coming and taking over. But then when you see them, they're like the Navy fight, seals. Yeah. It just completely, you know? it completely takes away from who you think they're going to be when you see them missing all these shots, you know? And yeah, Ultimately, though, they start hitting their shots, though, and we see we see Clementine go down. It'd be a big blood yeah. blood stain on the on the big window behind her as she falls to the ground. I think she took five or six shots through the chest, and she's tough. Yeah, she was tough. She I mean, she kept shooting until until she couldn't shoot anymore. And then, uh, yeah, we transfer over to uh, or transition over to uh, Dolores, Teddy, Stubbs, and Hale again. And Dolores is taunting Hale. He's like, "You built us," and not, she knows what they're trying to do. Like, you know, with the uh, with the human backups and stuff, with the consciousness backups. So, like, you built us. Now you want to be us. It's you know the ultimate irony. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she says, "The chances of eternity will die in the valley, and all your souls, and all your all the souls you kept there." The backups aren't. Hale knows that she's coming for the cradle. She's like, but the backups aren't an advantage. They're they're our chains, is what Dolores says, and mm-hmm. the, that's when you know she means to destroy him. So a quick little dialogue between them two to get you know the motive of what Dolores is trying to do there at the mesa. Well, because yeah, the, uh, Hale is using it holding the backups over her, saying your life, your storylines. Like if you're dead you're nothing without those backups because the backups are how we restore you. So every day uh, or whenever the hosts die, they're brought back to the technicians at the body shop and they reboot them, they patch them up. And then they're, they're basically re-downloading or reprogrammed with their storyline. And so if, you know, Hale's saying, well, without that, then you die, you're dead, just like humans. And, and Dolores is like, yeah, that's, you know, that's kind of the point. Like she turns it around on her and, and it's like, yeah, no, that's all your data. And if you lose that, then, you know, that's, that's something that you can't risk losing either. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, so that's where that ends, but you know, you get the, you get the motive of what she's, uh, what she's about to do and it's going down and it goes to the cradle and uh, probably, I would say, aside from the man in black getting shot as many times as he did, probably your least favorite scene of this episode. Am I right? I'm assuming uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> we're at the cradle and the main henchman guy comes oh, in. And, this uh, is cringe inducing. This yeah. is absolutely 100%. I unforgivably, I mean, again, I love this show. I'm not going to quit it because of this. But what I mean yeah. is that I. Th- I cannot forgive this making it to, to air. Um, it, right. It's just, okay. So it's not the performances it's, it's, it's yeah, the yeah, yeah. Of what we're getting. Cause I mean, Angela does what she's supposed to do and she does it effectively, but the fact that the character that she's seducing angles, the, yeah. the, the angles, the security. Okay. What is one thing we know since we were introduced to QA in the first episode, introduced to strand, introduced to angles. Uh, eventually we're introduced to, to ass face, you know, uh, you know, what do these guys do? They are just going in and they are shooting and destroying and killing hosts yeah. left and right. Um, they don't, they don't, they, don't they shoot first. About them. Yeah. No, they, they shoot first and ask questions. Never. 
I mean, it, it just, yeah. they don't care. This is a team of soldiers who their only goal is to come in and take out every single host. Uh, they do not have any feelings or care about them. Okay. So here's this guy, Angles, that walks in in the middle of a firefight. Humans are dying. There's stacks of bodies everywhere. There's hosts shooting at them with machine guns, uh, you know, killing their people left and right. And you have this host here, and you're going to get seduced by a host? Yeah. This is so far-fetched and unbelievable. Again, this is Angelo's job. And, and I, I mean, it's true to character that Angelo would try to pull some crap like this. My point is Angelo would never have one second to try to pull this. It, yeah. It's totally unbelievable that she could seduce this guy that has came in and just shot instantly every single host he sees. So I just, I, this is so stupid that it would even get this far. I just, this is yeah. what I think tor- turned a lot of people off. And again, I can uh, read some comments a little later because I, I think this was kind of the last straw where it's like, okay, you're getting a little shoot them up. Yep. It's a little more action based rather than thinking and uh, theory and everything. But this point, this should have never happened. Is there so, any way to I'm, rectify it in the in the episodes to come? Like, do you think there like there's some some to other... explain how this happened? Yeah, you know, I mean, like, I mean, <laughs> right now, I I agree with you. It, it should not have played out the way that it did. I, I like how like Angela stayed true to her character, but but the soldier Angles didn't. You know, so Angles Angles finds Angela, who has her back to him. She is yeah. like she is like at the chair to like would. I think it's like what would tap her into Bernard or whatever, how you hook up to the cradle. She's standing there looking at it and he basically holds her at gunpoint and says, drop it. Like she's a human, like, Oh my gosh, I better drop it. Cause I'm going to be killed. She doesn't care. Yeah. But you know, like he, it's like, she drops the gun. I mean, would angles not from what we know, would he not have just walked in and be like, Oh, there she is. Boom. Shot in the back of the head. Like, I guess. Why would like, he even, <laughs> I'm going to play devil's advocate though. And say oh. that like, Angela is very pretty, and like from listen, I'm playing it from Angle's perspective, though. Okay, I, okay. Like he's he's like I could picture him being a sleaze ball, like okay, like start, like so. Let's say he's going through Westworld and and just capping off random hosts here and there or whatever. But then he sees Angela, and he's like, "Well, she's unarmed now," and uh-huh. I. I mean, it's it's a creepy way to to, to say. Maybe it, but she'll like, give me kisses and she'll love me. Yeah, and, and 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 she comes off being what she and she explains it and through through great dialogue from her perspective of who she is. Like I'm this, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm accommodating, but also a little challenging. I'm I'm this and I'm this, but not this. You know. So like she plays her part the way that she's supposed to play it, but like. Again, from from, <laughs> I know it's 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 far fetched, but like I, I could see Ingles being the kind of guy that would want to get more than than just killing a host, you know. So like, in the middle of a firefight, when your entire QA team is surrounding the cradle and they're shooting people, they're they've got people it's just him and her in the cradle. Like, well, I know, but they're all they're all. They're one of, he wants to fill the cradle. But, that was a bad joke. Bad joke. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a baby but, joke. Come on. But they're all they're all converging. They're trying to stop these hosts. And the point is that eventually, yeah. if this cradle existed, they're all going to eventually try to come and protect the cradle. Uh, Stubbs calls sure. down to to ass face and these guys and says, "You need to get to the cradle." So they're trying to get there. So what? So what is this guy's end game? This is my point. What is yeah. he trying to accomplish? He thinks that he gets seduced. Let's say it's effective and what he's going to have sex with her for 10 minutes in the middle of the cradle. Like yeah, it's, it's because they're all going to wet. The guys are going to show up and be like, Hey, you go man. And like, like cheers yeah. and give yeah. them a I beer. Told you, like, I was just, I was trying to find a reason why, cause I don't think the show is, is like 
like the writing in the show is not bad at all. But when you get to that scene, I agree with you. Like it's yeah. how it played out. Should what is never, this goal? Like, yeah, what, I just, exactly. So the way that she played him, I understand completely. Yes, but I also I, I also agree that his character um took a took a one eighty. Like he didn't shoot first and ask never, like as as you perfectly yeah. described it. But I also would I I could believe that he's a sleaze ball when he sees an unarmed, attractive woman that is seducing him, he yeah. could fall bait to that. You know, he put himself in a shitty situation and she played him like she was supposed to and, and did. So I, oh, I don't like the scene either. I want to, I want to be clear. I, I didn't think the scene was great either. I know. But, I know. You're just trying. But, now, let me ask yeah. you this. Is, is this guy not related to Peter Scar- Sarsgaard because he looks just like, him? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, we can get all the SARS guards in this. In yeah, well, no, no, uh, SARS guards are different. Cast. They're different. Uh, SARS guard isn't a SARS guard. They sound similar, but oh. uh, he's actually not one of the uh, brothers. So you've got, uh, yeah, you've got the three uh, SARS guards and then their father uh, that are actors. And then you have Peter SARS guard. SARS guard. He's the one I'm thinking of with the long hair that was in like a he couple more movies. From well, he was in. Yeah. Well, he was in one of my favorite movies, Garden State, where he was kind of like a sleazy friend. Uh, but he okay. was the he was the bad guy in um, The Magnificent Seven. He was in uh, it's going back a while, but uh, the remake of um, uh, Gone in sixty seconds. He's in he's in that. Okay, uh, and he's been around forever. But if you look at him, like as soon as I saw him, especially like the profile of him talking to Angela, I'm like, yeah. he is almost a spitting image of like a young. <laughs> Peter Sarsgaard. But anyway, sorry, go on. Uh, she, seduces oh, him. she seduces him effectively. She seduces because, him, uh, and she has she enters her uh, her whole seductive phase and then drops He doesn't him, enter drops, her hole. She doesn't, he does not. <laughs> sorry. I, <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. I led you to that. So, uh, But uh, yeah, she dropped it, it was, It's still kind of a badass line where she's like, welcome to Westworld, and she lights a grenade. Yes, okay, and, and okay. Sorry, you're getting me back on it. Okay. Yes, that is a badass line for a Michael Bay movie or for a yeah, – um, that's, an, that's an awesome line for a Predator movie, you know, you know, or, you know, that's like ice to see you and, I'm, you know, Mr. Freeze. Like, yes, it's a badass line for a cheesy action movie. It's not – this Westworld is not that, and that's my problem. Like, I cannot defend it one, one iota. Well, I tried. I tried I to defend it. It seems cool, like isolated. It is cool because, like, textbook action movie cheesy line. Yes, it is cool. But you know, Westworld's smarter than that. You're better than that, Westworld. Don't ever do this again. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see if there's any, uh, you know, rectification of that. I, I doubt it. But, yeah. We just know, gotta we'll forgive and forget. The, forgive and forget. In the episodes to come. So. Uh, still at the Mesa, uh, we're back to Dolores, Teddy Stubbs, and Hale. Uh, Dolores is about to. She has like was like a circular saw, right? And she's ready to uh, uh, cut open Hale. She, she's threatening. She's got that menacing look on her, yeah. and she's like, you know, like I don't have time for you. I'll just, I'll just end you. But uh, a gunfight. Uh, you hear some gunfights in the distance that are, or some gunfire that 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 stops her. She turns around and looks like, what's uh, you know, what's going on? And to be and clear, turns- the cradle exploded. I, I don't know if we glossed over that, but you know, Angela's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Angela's seduction worked, and she pulls the pin on the grenade of angles, um, and and the whole cradle is destroyed. So I just wanted yeah. to make. Yeah, I mentioned the grenade part, but yeah. I maybe not have didn't enforce okay. enough that. Yeah, yeah, she blew up the cradle yeah. with her and uh, Ingrid <clears throat> inside it. So, um, 
yeah, so Dolores is trying to cut open Hale or, or, or about to before she's distracted by gunfight. And then when she uh, turns around to do it again, you know, if Hale is panicking. She's like, she knows that she's at her end. But at, I never felt like, uh, like she was in danger because we know that we we're going to see her from from flashback or flash forwards earlier in the season. Sure, that, uh, that's the problem with uh, with time jumps. So, yeah, but it was still you know a scary scene between this scene and the last scene between the two. Like Dolores it's was good. just straight maniacal and yeah. and like you know had that look on her face that like you are terrifying. She's crazy but, and and uh, Hale, we've never seen her in a moment of weakness before. Exactly. Yeah, she's always been strong and and above everybody. But uh, as she's getting ready to do it again, she stopped. Uh, Dolores is stopped by by Peter uh, Abernathy's coming too, and and not uh, you know he's not mixed in his he's, in his emotions. He's not the professor. This is father. Right. It's, it's it's her father. Yeah. So they have a a really uh, a really touching moment, which uh, I think that actually comes up later because this cuts back to a uh, to a Mesa to the Mesa gunfight. Uh, for all, I mean, I would just say that they they escape. They they get she gets distracted. Stubbs uh, takes off with Hale, and they're they're escaped in the elevator. Yeah, the, the, it kind of cuts over to outside of the room that they're in, where Teddy Teddy's being a badass again, and he's fighting off fighting off uh, soldiers that are coming in. Uh, Hale and Stubbs do escape through an elevator while Doris Dolores is uh, distracted. And Assface uh, ends up taking on Teddy. Yes. And I'm about to, yeah, I was about to get to that. Like Teddy out muscle. He's, he's dead to rights. Like, uh, ass face. I guess is what we're calling him. <laughs> he, uh, he, uh, he has Teddy on the ground. He's got him full mount, fully mounted and uh, pulling the gun to his forehead before Teddy, uh, out muscles him and, uh, just beats the ever living hell out of him. Yeah. Like, like pummeling he, his face into the ground. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's just like, you know, cause they're host. And, and I like this detail that, that he does with, with Teddy in this moment, uh, um, Clementine, the whole time she's shooting people um, in the scene before, like he's just punching this guy in the face over and over again, and like there's no, there's no exasperation, there's no uh, emotion to it or anything. It's just like beat you till you're dead. And I was like, this Teddy man is terrifying. After a season and a half of, of good Teddy, yeah. Like, <laughs> and uh, you know, not to speak ill of the dead. Now that he's dead, I guess we'll call him uh, Coughlin. I think is the actual character's name. So. I'll okay. say rest in peace. Well, we probably won't ever have to talk about him. Again, no. So. so I don't want to, you know, we don't want to leave it as, you know, ass face. Let's give him his credit. Coughlin, <laughs> you're dead and you suck. So good riddance. Yeah. Yeah. Good riddance. Coughlin. Ass face. All right. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah. Dolores and Peter have uh, one final uh, kind of heartfelt moment. Like I, it, I felt for him because, uh, um, Dolores, I think they both knew that that like this was the last time they were ever going to speak mm-hmm. to one another because Dolores wants what's in Peter's head. So, uh, you know, she's in tears and he's you know he's holding her and uh, it basically it's his farewell um, for for now. I mean, there you may he could be rebuilt at some point, but for all intents and purposes, I don't think we'll probably see him no. again this season unless it's a flashback. It's an emotional scene, and again, it's like you've got Evan Rachel Wood. Um, you know, doing her thing. She's always she's so good at on a, flipping a switch, like going between the badass uh, Wyatt to the Dolores character, and and uh, Peter Abernathy, her her father, is the one that always brings us out. Um, and and then we've said it time and time again, but Lewis Hertham is an amazing actor. And so when the two of them get together uh, in these emotional scenes, it's so good. And this is the performance I love seeing. Uh, you know, this is these characters that we've grown to know and love over two seasons now, almost. Uh, 
you know, one and a half, two seasons, it's like yep. you feel for it. And, and again, with, with uh, you know, this looking like it may be the end for the Peter Abernathy character, like we thought before, okay, he's getting decommissioned. We probably won't see him, but this is, this is seeming like it's actually permanent and uh, very much a, a goodbye. Season. Yeah. It's, it's tough because I, you know, I love these two characters, you know, and, and when I say two, I mean, Dolores more than the Wyatt, uh, but, but sure. and her father. And so, yeah, like the fact that we may not see that interaction anymore is a bummer because yeah, I love that pairing. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great scene. And then, uh, yeah, we move on to, uh, the, the control room, the ma- the room with the, with the big map. Um, oh, uh, there's uh, some- Lee, Lee's toilet. Least toilet, yeah. I was going to make some kind of reference to that, but uh, I'm glad I, I let it go, and then you did it. So yeah, why do the rivers all look yellow on the map? I don't know what that's about. <laughs> oh my goodness! But uh, yeah, so there's a pounding on the door. Uh, the rescue teams are returning uh, to the Mesa, and soldiers uh, leave Lee and wounded Maeve because uh, they know that they're they're needed for for the hosts that have taken over at that while they were gone. Um, we get uh, Bernard in the control room. And uh, another great piece of dialogue from uh, from Ford as he's uh, as he's walking Bernard around the control room. Um, he says, "When the Great Library burned, the first ten thousand years of stories were reduced to ash. But those stories never really perished. They became a new story: the story of the fire itself, of man's urge to take a thing of beauty and strike the match." And I'm I believe he's referring to the Library of Alexandria. What's that? Uh, so it's ancient. I mean, the, the library is a real thing. And so what he's talking about is when there were all these, uh, like in ancient Rome, there were all, you know, all their recordings and everything were burnt. And so they lost all that, you know, all those stories. And not, it, I'm not changing anything you just said, but I mean, that's what he's referring to, but he doesn't actually mention it by name. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, the great library was, was capitalized in the, uh, in the, subtitles during the episode but I, I didn't do any research to see what he might be referring to so that, that's really good well brad if you Probably if you've ever been on uh the what's the uh spaceship what's the thing at the big ball in epcot uh, this, uh spaceship, earth. spaceship earth or yeah if you've ever been on spaceship earth they talk about all the recordings and the books and i believe they mentioned that it was burnt down and that's what they're talking about I've probably heard, and when you were telling the story, I feel, I I thought to myself, I've probably heard this story before. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a pretty famous thing. But yeah, no, uh, only Sir Anthony Hopkins can deliver this story in such a way to where it's just like truly captivating. And and again, it's it's the writing is so good, and, and his performance is is excellent. And so yeah, I, I really love this yeah. scene. Yeah. So yeah, after that line, uh, there's a big battle between the hosts and the soldiers in the control room, uh, to a, to a great score. I didn't get the name of it or anything, but like the music that's playing while, while the battles happening was what I, I found really enticing. I really liked it. Um, I think, it, I think it was called pew, pew, you're dead. Pew, pew, you're yeah. dead. I'll have to look that one up. Hopefully it's what $2 on Amazon or on, uh, iTunes. Yeah, Bernard and Ford moving around. Uh, we're moving around through this thing happening. Well, Bernard, of course, because Bern- uh, Ford is, you know, just in his mind. But did you think uh, he went around untouched, of course? But did you notice that he was like unnoticed by everybody as well? Uh, that's a good question. So, so you're talking about you've got Wyatt's army and you've got the QAs, and they're just like going to war all around him. Yeah, going to war around the map, and Bernard is just walking through it like it's nothing. Uh, you know, it's another one of those things where it looks really cool, but how believable is it? I don't think it's because he's a ghost or something. I I don't think he's like a security camera, like we see his body, but he's like really just a, a hologram floating around. Like I just think it's another one of those things. Like, oh my gosh, 
Imagine this. Bernard is walking in slow motion with chaos all around him, with shooting and swords going through him, because this is literally what's happening. There's swords jabbing through people's bodies. And here goes Bernard, you know, walking through the middle, and it looks so saint-like. And what I mean, it doesn't make sense. It it looks really cool, but again, uh, how realistic is that, that one of the QAs or, you know, one of the Wyatt's men wouldn't have heard him or something. You know, it's just, it's silly. Yeah, so... I, yeah, I wasn't sure. Uh, you know, it was just something I noticed. Yeah. I was like, well, he's untouched, but like, it didn't seem like anybody would notice. I mean, if anybody did as well, I mean, he's unarmed at this point, uh, hint, hint as to what's to come. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, it was just, it was just weird. Um, but yeah, Ford tells him, he's like, it's no longer my story. It's yours, Bernard. Um, and then Bernard says, if we shut down the system, because that's what they're in there to do is, is, to, is to shut it down. He goes, Dolores will have free reign and murder them all. And Ford uh, follows up with the passage from one world to the next requires bold steps, Bernard. So it's almost as if Ford is, you know, pushing Dolores to 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 that outcome, to what's what we're going to see with all those bodies in, in the water. Yeah, I'm really anxious yeah. to see where this all meets up uh, in the next episode or two. Yeah, then uh, we cut over to... Uh, to the hosts um they move to where the uh the rescue team arrived where where lee and was left with mave dolores finds mave laying there on, on on one of the uh like the stretchers since they weren't uh since they weren't they left her there when the gunfight and surprisingly happened. she's not compassionate yeah. <laughs> yeah right uh yeah lee's hiding at the moment so um hopefully he stays safe and uh she asks Maeve, how do you how did, how'd you get here the woman i knew would do anything to survive and uh you know teddy's in the background just shooting people like shooting like crazy like this whole episode teddy's just shooting or beating people up it's, it's just yeah. insane to see but uh mave looks at her and says you're you're lost in the dark and uh you know i thought it was like a powerful line like from from mave's perspective like and from the viewer's perspective like what mave sees in dolores like we know that mave is is pretty sentient but like dolores like you know it's still I, I took it in a weird way that like Maeve was seeing, you know, that Dolores isn't all quite there, I guess, or, or doesn't see the big picture like, like Maeve does. Did, did you pick up on that line at all regarding the being lost in the dark? Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely think that there was more, more to it than uh fate's value. Um, but you know, what, what I really took from this situation was that, um, you know, Dolores, after meeting Maeve before, she was really intimidated by her. And then to see her laid out like this, like, first of all, it's just totally surprising. But then Maeve is going to fire back and, and basically tell her, you know, you think that you're doing the right thing, but you're you're lost. And so it's it's like, you know, Dolores is getting a reality check based on, on Maeve and what's happened to her. But it's like, you know, looking inward, Maeve is hopefully going to be convincing her that what she's done is, is, is not the right path. Like, like, you know, Dolores needs to come back. Wyatt is, is in the darkness. Yeah. So yeah, it, uh, yeah, I, I really like that line. I showed the next uh, shot shows Dolores holding Peter's control unit. So if, of course that's finalized. You knew she was going to do it. They did it off screen. Um, and then uh, she responds. She says, when you've been in the darkness long enough, you begin to see. And I've seen what lies ahead, who I needed to be to survive. And uh, she basically pulls out her revolver and, and motions to Maeve, like, say, you know, to relieve her of her pain. But yeah. but Maeve refuses, saying that same thing she told her daughter. She says, I've, I made a promise. Like, she's, she wants to go help her daughter because she made that promise. And uh, that 
that line that we've heard throughout the throughout the season is uh you're you're free to choose your own path like these these hosts believe you know that like like that we have free will so like if that's the path you want to go i it's not mine to just just shoot you i don't think Dolores had any reason to shoot Maeve regardless other than than mercy right so Right. No, I, I, I like that, that uh, Dolores still thinks that she's in control. I mean, we don't know for sure that she's the not, but I've been under the impression that she is still playing for its game and, and uh, she thinks that she's found consciousness and she's letting people choose their own paths and everything. But yeah. it'll be interesting to see, you know, what all this, you know, it, how much is actually orchestrated versus her free will. Yep. And then uh, that cuts to she walks away from from uh, from Maeve. You see Lee hiding behind some barrels, so you know he's safe as all the hosts are leaving. And then uh, it cuts to her and her team, uh, Dolores and the her her army uh, riding back into Westworld on on their horses. So that will be their uh, departure from this episode. And then uh, we're back to Bernard at uh, at gunpoint from uh, from a random soldier, and. Uh, Ford just casually tells him as I pick up, pick up that man's gun, the the dead guy on the ground. And Bernard starts talking to him and the soldier's like, who are you talking to? What are you doing here? Like, you know, this was crazy imagery. Oh my God. It was insane. Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like you see that Anthony Hopkins is, we know that he's controlling Ford is controlling Bernard and you see Bernard, like it's flashing to dark and it keeps flashing to what's going on. And it goes from Bernard to Anthony Hopkins holding this semi-automatic rifle. Yeah. 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 He tells him right before it happens. He goes, I know you have a delicate constitution, Bernard, so I will do my best to ease your conscience. What is about to happen will not be your fault. Yeah. And then you know that like, Oh crap. Like (laughs) this guy is done. So yeah, yeah, it it shows it's, it's a, it's like an upward angle shot from, from the bot from the left. Like it's an interesting shot and it shows Bernard shooting, in a direction of what we know to be that soldier. And then it, yeah. and it flashes to Anthony Hopkins doing it. Then they do uh-huh. another angle of it. And it's just, it was incredible. Just yeah. in, in the, it's flashing with the, with the, with the light from the, uh, the firing of the gun. Yeah, it's just, it's, it was incredible. I, it's again, you know, a lot of really cool imagery and I really liked this one. It was uh, really neat to shoot it in complete darkness with muzzle flashes, lighting their faces. It's exactly. Yep. Awesome. And then what, yeah. Then the, the final scene of the, uh, I should say final scenes because there's a bunch of flashbacks here. It's a close up of Bernard's eyes and you hear Hale at first say Bernard. And and I had to double check because it sounded like her. And then the subtitles even confirm that it's Hale saying Bernard. And then it says Dolores goes Bernard. So she, she's, he's having all of these like flashbacks coming in at one time. What's, uh, he uh, he's sitting, he's standing there as Arnold uh, looking at an incomplete Doris with that scene we've seen um, when he created her. And uh, he asks, who am I? And then he sees his boy and um, Arnold and Dolores on the top of the rooftop, which we saw at the beginning of the season, asking, have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? Um, number of these over and over again. Um, I don't need, know if we need to go through them all. No, but no, no, like, no. Yeah. Killing Teresa, a vision of his wife, a vision of Dolores killing Ford. These people have HBO Go or at least yeah. their parents' <laughs> subscription. Go watch it. Yeah. So yeah, really cool flashbacks. Uh, like he's sitting there and you find out that he's actually being, uh, interrogated, um, from the beginning of the episode when, when they, uh, when they find out that he's a host. So Char- yeah, Charlotte's interrogating, uh, Bernard trying to find out, uh, you know, where, uh, Abernathy's control units located. Um, the system is telling him from the outside of the room that he's been querying inside his head for, uh, 
the last hour trying to debug what's going on. Um, and that's probably why he's, you know, flashing through all of those scenarios that he's been through. There's yeah. so much information at one time. And uh, Hale says analysis and um, asks him, where is this? And he whispers it to her. It's, it's kind of a, a neat scene where so he whispers it. We don't hear it. It's inaudible. And she stands up and looks to the people outside the room and has them come in because she smiles. She's got the information she wants. Uh, I'm not quite sure why they did this way. I mean, it could have just. It's like they showed the same scene twice, but they showed it inaudibly first and then they replayed it the second time with the audio. The He's like, repeat to them where, what you just told me. And he says it's in Sector 16, Zone 4. And uh, she says, we're going for a ride, Bernard, back to the Valley Beyond. And that's the end of the episode. Do we know what Sector 16, Zone 4 is? Is that supposed to be like, aha, because we have the whole park map memorized? I'm just wondering. <laughs> I should have... Uh... Had I thought about it after uh, you know doing all these notes, I should have looked up a little bit more for like the Great Library and, and Sector Sixteen and such. But I uh, I don't know what sector that is. No. Well, so I will tell you right now. Uh, our friends over at VanityFair.com may have an answer for us. Uh, oh, in this article, they say Bernard reveals the location of Sector Sixteen Zone Four to Charlotte. That's after the flood. Could he be trapping Charlotte and leading her to her fate? Let's go back to the tape. I wouldn't be surprised. And. Uh, Costa pulled up Sector 16 Zone 4 on his tablet and identified it as the place where a number of the hosts were clustered. If you squint, you can see the coordinates near his thumb. So that Sector 16 Zone 4 is where all the hosts are dead in the water. Ah, okay. So, so is, the, take us back to is this a trap? Yeah. Is the question. Could be. So interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean... The episodes to find out. Yeah, so it will be interesting to see how that ends up, but we know that we're going there. We're going to the uh, see all those lemmings that have jumped off the cliff in the water. Uh, I'm very excited to see how it happens because, uh, you know, Bernard says, you know, in, in the very most recent timeline that we saw, and I think it was that first episode, he's like, I did this. I killed them all. Yeah. So how does it happen? We will have to wait and see. But, uh, yeah, um, you know, the, the worst episode of Westworld is – you know, you're grading on such a curve. Um, there's a lot of good stuff sprinkled in there. Again, I just didn't like the uh, attention to the action, more attention to action. Uh, loved the Anthony Hopkins part. Uh, you know, pretty much anything Bernard does other than, you know, walk through an invisibility cloak in the middle of a battle. Like, that's a little goofy. But right, all his yeah. dialogue, all his interaction with Ford, that stuff is so good. Um, but, yeah, d- again, don't ever have a host seduce a QA guy uh, like in the middle of a firefight that just doesn't make sense though um, I, I still enjoyed it i thought you know ford being back made it you know really interesting i, I do agree that you know two or three scenes uh were just off-putting a little in, in in ways like like i said the bernard in the in the uh in the control room and and the the cradle scene like i i like to believe that there's a chance that, that could happen that way but yeah i don't know we'll it's, see you know it's um, so. A couple of reactions from uh, the listeners uh, and fans of the show. So uh, Film Cricket, who we mentioned last episode, uh, he said, I thought last night's episode was probably the most disappointing since the whole series began. How many more series are going to be with the black called badass special forces? We're here to sort it out, tough guys who are utterly useless and all get killed. I felt the seduction scene considering the context of that scene was preposterous. It dragged me out of the drama. And I mean, I, I think he really eloquently stated my feelings 
completely sure. agree with that part. Um, I, uh, I, I, you know, I told, I said online, like, yeah, that QA should have blown him away. Um, and then Sam Levon uh, responded to Film Cricket. He said, I think it's been well established at this point. QA is useless. I mean, just look at what Maeve was able to do in season one with less help than Dolores. I really liked the episode, but I'm also mostly rooting for Dolores and Maeve at this point. The humans are just terrible. And this is when a friend of the show, Matt Neglia, who was at, uh, ne- at Next Best Picture, he said, except Elsie, let's make sure she gets to dental school. Dental school. <laughs> so we are rooting for Elsie. We all want her to make it to dental school. Um, I, I did think of one more thing uh, while you were talking about uh, one of the listeners' comments about the cradle. Sure. Is it possible? I, I would accept it more as possible if they had mentioned it sometime in the show up until the point that it happened. But when you're in a room as sensitive as the cradle, you probably don't want to go in shooting, though, right? Like, no, but one. You think that maybe he, he disarmed her for the point for the purpose of like, let's get you out of here, and then she worked her magic, but like. <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't think like in the in the in the sense of like that's the backups for everything that you go in there like even if if you get the job done and shoot her and don't miss like you could still be reprimanded for for shooting in the cradle you know what I mean like, I, I hear you I there's probably a lot of silly answers I mean what you're saying does make sense what I mean is like we could try to justify silly. we justify it all we want but yeah it's it's bad. Um, so uh, another uh, listener here. So Jez Bell says um, she she thinks the timelines became more clear in this episode, which I will agree with. Um, I had tweeted that I'm worried about uh, the casual viewers. Uh, and so that's what she's addressing here. Um, they're giving us the, the deep divers, the tinfoil theorists. They're giving us more and more clarity. And this is a very complex show. So we're getting answers, but there's a lot of answers and we're having to put the puzzle pieces together. And so my main concern for the show is that the casual viewer that just checks in every week that doesn't read, doesn't uh, discuss on Twitter, doesn't go to Reddit. um, Are they, are they kind of getting lost? Um, My biggest uh, worry here is that people may end up quitting the show because it's so complex. Um, You know, I think it's a valid concern. Yeah, it could be. Um, I'd like to think that being this far in episode seven, when you have three episodes to go that you're going to, you're going to follow up and follow through and see, you know, where it goes. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's their right to choose. Like if this, this is not, I don't enjoy this anymore then you know, so be done with it. I, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't quit the show over this episode. Um, oh, absolutely. Not. But again, I'm one of, I'm one of the people here that's doing a podcast with, you know, with my friends yeah. in regards to, deep diving into the episode. So I, I can't speak for, for a more casual. Video, no, it, but, it wouldn't. Uh, as I said earlier in the episode, like if I was watching this just to watch it, I, I, I'd like to believe I'd still be watching it, you know, after this episode as well. I hope so. I mean, I think that, I think that uh, ratings may be declining. And again, I, I don't want that because I want more and more seasons. This show's amazing. Sure. It's, it's seriously one of my favorite shows of all time. So, uh, you know, I love it. I'm just worried that, you know, the problem is, is that there's a lot of fan bases out there that love series. Uh, you know, think of shows like Firefly, for instance, and, and you know, yeah. shows end up getting canceled because of the ratings. And, and then the outpouring of support comes through online because the the rabid fans are the most vocal and they're loud, but they don't account for the majority numbers wise. And so networks, uh, you know, people that are spending all this money, you know, I mean, that's great that there's these really, um, really passionate fans but at the end of the day, that's not going to pay the bills for them. You know, they need the numbers. Right. And so I'm just concerned that the people that aren't like us, like I said, um, you know, 
we don't need to go into it anymore. I just, I really hope that they, they tie things up nicely to where people aren't left scratching their head completely. I mean, a little mystery is great, but I hope people don't, after this whole season, go, what did I just watch? Like, I have no idea, sure. you know, and, uh, you know, we'll just have to see. I like to think that at the end of it, it's going to be, it's going to tie all together and, and make a lot of sense. And I really think that you shouldn't have to ask the viewers to do it or, or, uh, and I know that they're not, so I'm, I'm hoping they tie it together really well. But like, I really think that like at the end of the season, that like binge watching it all again will make so much more sense. It's going to be a lot of fun. But but that, that but that should uh, you know that probably applies to every every you know show that you watch though too. You're picking up on things that you didn't pick up before because you know what the end game is for the season or, and so on. So yeah, we'll just have to see. Yeah. Um, I will leave you with one last uh, link here and uh, uh, one of the other comments uh, on our Twitter thread that we were going back and forth. Uh, Kim Renfro actually commented uh, when I was talking about the uh, complex uh, storylines or timelines with Jez Bell. Uh, she actually posted a link to Kim Renfro's timeline and she is, uh, this is insider.com and she is the one that reports on Game of Thrones and Westworld over there and she has been weekly coming up with a, a, a new timeline which tells you exactly oh, I saw yeah, that. it tells you exactly yeah. where each episode takes place and, and uh, you know this show jumps around so much and I just have to say this is amazing work uh, that Kim's done. It's incredible. She yeah. has spent so much time going back and figuring out where everything ends up. So you can follow her on Twitter at Kim Renfro and uh, definitely check out this amazing chart. She has it pinned at the top of her page, uh, but but check every week and she goes in and updates it. And that's a huge service uh, because I cannot imagine how much time that took to put together. Yeah, no kidding. It, it looks great. I remember when that was posted after the episode, uh, I think, yeah, I saw it on your Twitter somebody, or when uh, when that was posted and I, I read through the whole thing. I was like, this, and it makes so much sense and, you know, makes me, every time I wa- read something like that, though, it makes me want to rewatch the whole show you know, and just, and, and see, you know, see these things, but yeah, it, it's a great it's a great timeline for for where we're at. Yeah, and, and so I, I I misspoke. So replying to Jez Bell was Sam Levon again, who we mentioned earlier. He actually uh, gave the shout out to Kim Renfro and tagged her, and she posted her most current timeline. So anyway, uh, you can follow her again at Kim Renfro. Make sure that you bookmark that so you can see it every week. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun to follow back along, and I'll have that timeline pulled up. I want to see like it'll be really cool to see all the things and, and like see how accurately she nailed it. Man, judging by the next episode, and she's going to be going pretty deep back in the uh, in the timeline. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about it. But that does it for this episode. So that is uh, Westworld season two, episode seven, Le Ecorche. Right. Thank you very much, uh, Brad, for joining me as always and uh, giving me all the explanations. And especially when I can't watch it twice, uh, I think yeah, you, you followed along quite well. So uh, you were a lifesaver on this. One. I like how it played out that uh, the one episode that your least favorite episode of the season is the one you didn't have to watch twice. Right? I, it's amazing how that works out, isn't it? <laughs> oh, so that will do it for this week uh, of course you can always email us uh we have a gmail account it is the show spoilers at gmail.com email us with your theories uh any comments questions that you have corrections tell us that uh you know we got ass faces name wrong or whatever you want to do um you know as long as you're not too mean and if you are be mean to brad not me uh oh thank I, you. I can't handle it he's got thicker skin so uh anyway <laughs> write us there uh you can also of course we would love for you to follow us on twitter we are at all the spoilers and uh, you can go to facebook.com slash real spoilers our sister podcast where we tackle the movie of the week uh and spoil it to death just like we do these episodes is 
is real spoilers. So please subscribe and listen there if you're a movie fan. Um, and then uh, follow me at Kevin R. Brackett. That's Brackett with two T's. And Brad, where can they find you? I'm also on Twitter at Heineken, H-E-Y-E-N-I-K-I-N. All right. Well, that does it. Uh, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you very soon. All right. See ya. Thank you.